And uh, Lighthouse Keepers, uh, there are some notes in the hallway this morning, and this is page two, so just to help you in your cells this week to uh, get a head count there too, because we know there are people that are in our cells that uh, still have yet to come here for a celebration. This would have been a good day to bring them. Um, but get, uh, get some RSVPs for us there as well. Oh, thank you. It always feels so much better. Let there be light. If you'd like to go with me in Luke chapter 24. <clears throat> and I'm looking down at the notes, the, the uh, cell notes, the facilitation guide, and realizing that I have a typo in there as well. Where it says the word says Luke 24, 1 to 12, and then after that it says Luke 22, 13 to 35. That should be a 4. The whole thing's in Luke 24. All right. How you doing? I could spend a lot of time saying welcome home to a lot of people today. But I'll try not to embarrass everyone, okay? So last week we talked about the resurrection, of course. We talked about Easter. And the Lord gave us a message to talk about the distance between Peter and Jesus because of his failure. The distance that Jesus could only span the gap and bring bring Peter back to himself. I felt like that was a significant message for a lot of us. That there were things that had put distance between us and him and, and he needed to bridge the gap for us. You don't have to turn with me. I'll just read for you Isaiah 59 and refer to it regularly in verse 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save nor is ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. I heard again this morning the Lord speaking to his people. You're here. He's not talking to someone who's not here necessarily. Maybe through a recorded message he will. But specifically we know he's approaching us because he called us to himself this morning. And here we are in his presence. And may not fit everyone, but there are probably a few of you here this morning who are still feeling that distance between you and Jesus, and it needs to be closed. And you've tried to close it, and you've not been able to. Understand that the Lord's arm is not shortened, that he can't save. His ear isn't deaf, that he can't hear. You just have to cry out to him. You have to understand that it's by his grace, not your effort, that you can be drawn to him. It's by his great, intense love for you that he will reach out and pull you in just as quick as you yell help. Help me, Jesus. Luke 24, now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. 
Then they went in and didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Don't you just love those revelation moments when they come? Oh, yes. And then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. If you'd like, turn just back shortly there to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16. And I'm going to read from starting at verse 9. It says, Now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he, meaning Jesus, appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe. After that, he appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Later he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they didn't believe those who had seen him after he had risen. I just wanted to emphasize again this before we proceed. I'm going to go back to Luke 24. But before we proceed, I thought there's still a lot of those that even though we celebrated last week the resurrection, we went out of here thrilled again to remind ourselves that Jesus is alive. And he's not distant. He's not somewhere far off. He's not lost. Amen. He's here with us this morning. And yet when we declare that he's alive, he is risen, he's not here, you know, he's not in the grave anymore, he's, he's alive, he's, he's among us, there's still those that don't believe. And even Christians sometimes sit in that chair and say, well, we believe a lot about Jesus, but we just don't believe in Jesus. We know about the truth that has been given to us factually but it's never become a part of who we are and yet our mission is still the same and that is to declare he is risen and he is risen indeed now i know it's not easter so if you feel like this is an easter message hang on we'll we'll shift gears in a second i read a story about the guy that went to the pastor after church on easter he says you know you got to get some new material this every time i've been here you've preached the same message It's got to kind of work on you a little bit. but I'm thinking about this short piece in Mark where it says, and he appeared in another form to two of them. Do you remember those two? Those two were found in Luke 24, 13, where we left off. It says, now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus. This means that it was happening the same day as the resurrection. Emmaus was seven miles from Jerusalem. 
And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained. Their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sat? One of the early manuscripts says it this way, what kind of conversation is this that you uh, have as, with one another as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? He said to them, What things? So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ or the Messiah to have suffered these things and to later enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road, and while he opened the scriptures to us? So they rose up at that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread or how he was recognized by them. My message this morning is, I, I titled it, the walk of wonder. And you could take it either way. To me, it's a wondrous walk that these guys are having with Jesus. But when it started out for them, it was just a wondering walk. We wonder what happened. <clears throat> Here we have a couple of guys leaving town. Actually, they've, they've come to a point in their experience where their hopes were so high. Their, their, their target was that Jesus was the Messiah. They had put all of their trust in this moment. And you remember the proverb that says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. This is what had happened to them. But in fact, in their hope had not just been deferred, it had been ended. 
You ever had one of those moments in your life where you just built up and built up and your hope and hope and then it was dashed? You remember the experience that you went through and the downer that it was? If you're born of my generation, it was a bummer. They've gone through the painful experience of seeing Jesus crucified and their hope killed on a cross. It was a dramatic moment, but Jesus pulls up next to them. I don't know clearly how it worked. We're going to have to speculate, but why didn't they recognize him? Let me submit a couple of thoughts. One is it was a miraculous moment. God restrained their eyes. God just decided they weren't going to be able to tell who this Jesus was. And so their eyes were restrained or covered in a sense. Even though they could work, they couldn't recognize Jesus. You might say, well, in the natural, look at it this way. Doesn't it say they were sad and that they were downcast? Ever been depressed? When you're depressed, you don't greet people eye to eye. You're kind of, your cast is down. You're glancing at the ground. You're depressed. You're, you're overwhelmed. You're forlorn. You're bent over. You might even be oppressed on top of that from the enemy coming to enhance your moment. Satan himself or the demons will come and sit on your shoulder and press just as hard to help you amplify the moment when you're depressed. So they may not have even looked up. They may have just been talking and chatting. And we know the phrase that misery loves company. And these two guys had each other. Commiserating along the way. This is horrible. I feel bad. You know, I feel bad too. Matter of fact, you look bad. I do? Yes. You look bad too. Ah, I am so sad. And the, and the more it went on, the more downcast they became. And even if Jesus had stood there and stared at them, they may not even looked up to notice it was him. And, and besides, in their minds and hearts, it was concluded that he was dead. So it couldn't possibly be him. So they wouldn't look up with any kind of expectation. I hope you're hearing something about yourself here this morning. That in when we find ourselves, and I heard in the prophetic moments that we walked through this morning, that there were some of us who had this this week. That you were under attack, you were under oppression, you were in this moment of maybe being depressed to some degree or, or forlorn or much like these guys. We're just going to go for a walk. Seven miles. By the way, Emmaus is west of Jerusalem on the way to Joppa. Jesus comes alongside. What are you talking about, fellas? Are you like a stranger around here? Have you only been in Jerusalem a day or two? You don't know what's going on? Well, let us tell you, because we've been rehearsing it, and we're really bummed out. And aren't we? We're sad. We're sad. You look sad. You look sad, too. Matter of fact, last time I saw you, you look better than you look now. You're looking worse all the time. Yeah, you too. You're kind of moping there, fella. I mean, they were just in it, maybe, and lost. So they begin to take it out on Jesus. Can you imagine it? And Jesus is going to stand and walk with these guys and listen to the rehearsal of everything he already knew perfectly. And they're going to tell him what happened. And then he's going to stop them and say, Look, guys, aren't you missing the point? 
Didn't the prophets already tell us? All the way from Moses and through the scriptures. Didn't, wasn't it supposed to be like this? Wasn't the Messiah supposed to die and then later enter his glory? But depression and being downcast has a way of blotting out the truth. has a way of occluding our eyes and our heart and our spirit so that we can't get free. So I wanted to go back this morning after all these things that were happening here this morning. I said, let's sing that first song again. Let's sing that really upbeat one. Let's drag out the arsenal, wave some banners, and let's talk about spinning around and being free. Let's see how many of us need to apply what we just heard this morning. Oftentimes we don't get the freedom that's offered to us because we won't walk into the moment of applying it. That's what I like about cell groups. In cells we have the moment to apply things. Put it into practice. How am I supposed to respond? What is the appropriate response to what God's saying in this moment? And in the cell, you take time to say, this is how it works. This is how it can work in you. This is what I know about you. This is how it can apply. I I think you should do this and that. We coach one another to greatness in Christ. There's a point in here that should be heard that as they rehearsed for Jesus the facts of his own death. It would be easy for us to be similar in knowing that or hearing this that there are times when we know a lot about Jesus. We just don't know him. Now I'm not saying primarily we don't know him. I've talked to people about Jesus a lot. Don't you? Don't you share who you are and what you believe and you talk to... These guys had a head knowledge of Jesus. These guys said, well, this is what happened. Here's the facts. But standing right next to them, they didn't know him. They knew him up here. But like we said last week, they didn't know him in their knower. The knower's a little lower. It's the center of your being. There's lots of religious people in the world that know things about God. One of the most recent ones that shocks me is that there's a news reporter, I think he is, that uh, I think that's his profession. Catholic by birth, if you will. I also heard a Catholic comedian this week who said, we don't read the Bible. Catholics don't read the Bible. We read the bulletin. <laughs> if you're in a Catholic background, you're laughing probably. As they tend to think evidently that it's more important to know who died and what's for lunch than what the Bible has to say. But this reporter, being a Catholic, had never read the Bible. So he decided he would read the Bible. And as he read through the Bible, he would blog his thoughts. I mean, you're following somebody on a blog, or you've got your own blog. You go, what's a blog? It's more than a puddle on the ground. That's a blob. A blob. <laughs> you know, a blog. And so every day he would read some of the Bible, and he would throw his comments on a blog, and people started following the blog. And it became so popular that he was giving a commentary on the Bible from ignorance. Come on. He doesn't know the author. He doesn't know God. He knows about God. And so he's offering this information to the public. And it became so popular and so followed that he compiled it into a book. And now the book is on sale. And I'm thinking, the, and it'll probably become a bestseller. It'll probably hit the... Hit the widespread America 
Why? Because people do want to know about Him. People want to know about God. The hard part is when they have to be drawn into relationship with Him. It's okay to know Him up here, but once it has to move that 12 inches to the heart, there's resistance. Come on, you had some. Didn't you? I mean, you didn't just run to the cross, did you, the first time you heard about it? Or did you? Some did, probably. Most of us were a little standoffish. We wanted to know about it, but we didn't want to be involved with it. And I'm thinking, my goodness, another book about him, about it, the book, about God from somebody who doesn't know anything about knowing God. It's sad. Until you and I jump up and get busy, that's all they're going to have to feed on, though. We have to be the living epistles that live it out in front of people so that they can see a Bible. I'll just read one. So these guys are rehearsing for Jesus, and he's thinking maybe they've got a lot of head knowledge about me, but as I stand here, they don't know who I am. And there are times even in our Christian walk when we are confronted with issues, and when we we're confronted with them, they tend to overwhelm us. And we want to apply this head knowledge we know about God to the situation, and it doesn't bring us through to freedom. What we need is an ability to cast ourselves freely into who He is and to lean fully upon His grace and His mercy and His person. To fall at His feet like Mary Magdalene on the resurrection and say, My Lord, my God. Or Thomas, who we tend to refer to as the doubting Thomas, who once Jesus said, Put forth your hand and stick it into my side. See the nail prints. Touch them. He fell to His knees and said, My Lord and my God. There came a knowing that was beyond physical scientific understanding so Jesus explains now for me these little verses here 25, 6 and 7 Luke 24 foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. This had to be the perfect Bible study. And we get none of it for us recorded in the moment. You know, I have often said, oh, just to have been on the walk. But they were hearing but not understanding. Seven miles. How many are walkers? Joggers. How long does it take to go seven miles? Shout it out. How many? How long does it take to go seven miles? A couple hours? Two hours? How about if you're depressed? How about if you're downcast? How about if you're wearing sandals and a robe and you're dashed, your hopes... Or on the ground in front of you in every step. Are you in a hurry? How long would it take to cover seven miles? Two hours. Two hours. Two hours. <laughs> Thank you, Gary. I used to be a meat reader, and you know we, we traveled about four miles an hour, so this is a couple of hours, no problem. But these guys were not ambitious, right? They were dragging their feet. They were dragging their hearts. Could have took them all day, and if Jesus got up against them at the first mile and had six to go, this was an all-day Bible study. 
from the master and the author, giving him truth after truth after truth from every passage. And I've often said, oh, I just wish I could have gotten this. But my understanding of the Bible shows me that later on, Paul the Apostle, who also only had the Old Testament, would stand up and do the same thing. Right? He would prove that Jesus was the Messiah, that Christ was the only Savior, and that he had to die and be buried and raised again uh, for salvation and eternal life to come to us. And he did all that just using the Old Testament. So it is available to us by revelation and by reading. It's not that we missed it. I just think this would have been a great Bible study to be in. What a great walk. I'm concerned for the body of Christ in this, that when we get into these places ourselves where we're, our hopes are fallen, our hopes are deferred, our depressive, depressive moments come and the enemy oppresses us and our own heart melts inside of us, who do you have to walk with? We all need somebody, don't we? Well, I've got Jesus. Yeah, well, I do too. But I also need somebody that I can stick my arm around, somebody that will grab me by the shoulders and say, Hey, wake up. Smell the coffee. Life is not as bad as you see it today. I don't need a commiserating partner who will drag his feet and say, Ah, you're right, it's bad. It's getting worse all the time. We need each other. And if you would accept this young man's reading of Amos this morning as a prophetic moment, You would hear an announcement that troubled times are coming to the church in this country. And when they come, who will you walk with then? You may need a small group, a band that you can tuck away with and become energetically evangelistic through that small group. And that's why we're organized for cells. I'm kind of all over the map this morning, but... The reason for organizing in cells was revealed to the church 20 years ago, maybe 30 years ago now, and it was for two reasons. One, harvest. The church as we do it, you know, build it and they'll come, is not a design for harvesting souls in a massive way. It's just not. You can't get more in here than we've got this morning. And when you get more, you either have more services or you blow out a wall and you start building again. And it's all about building buildings, which if they're ever coming under persecution they'll be closed and then what do you do so harvest is one and hostility is the other just always remember that the church has not been ready for harvest or hostility but when we organize by cells and they decide for whatever reason to close the main event boom that's fine it cells just go on life happens right in the trenches where it's been going on the whole time so you're in training church You're in training already, and you may not even be aware of it, that if you'll learn how to live together in community, and that you'll learn how to have somebody to go on your walk to Emmaus with, and you'll invite Jesus to come alongside that walk, you will be fine. doesn't mean you'll be without persecution. doesn't mean that you're you're going to be without problems. It just means that you're going to have the solution by having a partner to walk with. They get to the end of the walk. 
I like how Jesus throws him the head and shoulder fake. He acted like he was going to go further. See you guys. Been nice walking with you. You ought to pick up your pace a little bit. I'm going on. Where are you going? To Joppa? Don't go. No. It's getting, you know, it's late in the day. We've been walking all day. Why don't you stick with us and have some dinner and just relax and we'll commiserate some more. <laughs> and Jesus is, of course, drawn in by the moment and says, okay, I'll stay with you. And then sitting down at the table, and I imagine mostly, generally, that when we sit down at the table to break bread, whatever that looks like for you, it's supposed to be generally a fairly quiet moment. Now, if you have young children in the home, or if you're swept up in the pace of society, you probably can't remember the last time you sat down to eat together. But in this moment, the sitting down at the evening meal was a quiet time. Finally, things had come to a rest. The commiserators were closing their doors, their yaps on the front of their face. They weren't going to talk about it anymore. Jesus had explained to them the scriptures. They had a lot of head knowledge. But this is what I love in this passage is that Jesus takes the bread and he blesses it. If you look in Mark chapter 6, you'll find a point when in a couple of other spots where, you know, the little boy's lunch was just a couple loaves and fishes. And Jesus said, get them all organized, set them down in groups. Give me the lunch. And he took the bread, he took the loaves, and he, and he prayed what we know to be as a very specific Jewish prayer before you break the bread. And I, I tried to repeat it last night and fouled it up miserably because I don't speak Hebrew. So I won't say it in Hebrew today. And uh, you could say it. You could say the blessing over the bread. Could you say it into my chest? <laughs> and my microphone, that's where it's at. I might get it wrong, but I'll try. Okay, you'll get closer than me. Okay. hello, hey, Um, yeah, wait, there's two of them, sorry. Mm-hmm. There's two. Um, uh, no, sorry. You're doing fine. I'll think of it. You're doing fine. I'll get back to it. you get back to it. <laughs> Blessed aren't thou... O Lord, our God, maker of the universe. Blessed art thou, O Lord God, the one who gives us bread. Something of that nature. It was a traditional prayer. And when, uh, thank you, by the way. I'll just run over and we'll do it. If you get the rest of it, just wave and call me back. She'll get it, too. You know, she knows it. But offer the bread up and in that moment, say this prayer. Thanking God for the bread. And then break it, and then let's eat. Jesus is at the table with the guys on the road to Emmaus, Cleopas and his friend. It's still. It's relaxed. It's the place you need. A place of quietness. A place of tranquility. A place of relaxedness. A place of, let's let this day be behind us. Maybe you get yours in the morning before the day starts. That's good too. Maybe there's a place you like to go. Maybe you've got a road to Emmaus that you like. There's a place where you like to go and walk. A place that you like to hang out. I don't recommend Starbucks. It's too busy. There's just too many amens. Amen. All those that work. You know, it's just, how are you going to get any quiet there? 
maybe you'll stop there first and then go to your walking spot. That's fine. But somewhere where you love to be alone and tranquil and peaceful. And yet in that place, you invite Christ into it. Here at the table, in the quietness of the moment, Jesus takes the bread, prays the blessing, breaks the bread. And the Bible says in that moment, they recognized him. What happened? Two things I submit to you. One, the miracle of God blocking their vision is removed and they get to see finally. The other that enhanced the moment, the point of the breaking of the bread, was a place they had been with him before. They recognized the voice. They recognized the tone. They recognized the prayer. They recognized the bread being broken and they recognized the bread breaker. Now listen, this word known is important in the original language. I submit to you in the Greek, it's ginosko. Ginosko is the word for known. And in that moment, he was known to them. Verse 35, he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Known is a word that carries a connotation that there's an introduction. There comes a fuller understanding of the moment or the wisdom or the person involved. And then there comes a connection between the known and the knower that is intimate. It's so expressed in intimacy that we might use the same word when uh, we talk about Adam knew his wife Eve and they had children. It's intimacy. It's something that comes from contact and recognition and interaction. And in this moment, as they're interacting with Jesus, and they've been, they've, and he takes control. He, take, he doesn't let them bless the bread. He does it. They're the broken ones he wants to restore. He wants to take the bread and understand with them again that he is the bread of life. And I'm going to break it again one more time for you guys and see if you can get a breakthrough here. And in the breaking of bread, he was known. Experiential knowledge, interaction, touch, connection. But it, this word in the Greek is so, so deep that actually it takes about a page to define it. Isn't that amazing? One word takes a page of English to define it, what's happening. But it comes down to the relationship between the, what's known and by who knows it. This is knowing Jesus. In the breaking of bread, he became known. Do you think they were depressed anymore? They were free. In the moment, didn't our hearts burn? All of a sudden, it started coming together just instantly. I suppose vanishing out of their sight had something to do with it. (laughs) But but they didn't even stop there, evidently. The Bible doesn't tell us that. They didn't sit there for five minutes wondering what happened. They said, oh! He was known in the moment. Hey! Was your heart burning on the road too? Yeah, but I was just so busy being depressed I didn't want to bring it up. I thought, you know, I should stay depressed like you were. Well, I wasn't that depressed. Yeah, you were, man. You were dragging your feet. No, you were looking bad. And you hear that. But they're coming out of it. They're coming out of it. And they say, what are we going to do about this Enosco? We've known him. He is alive from the dead. And they turn around, they get up, and they go the seven miles backwards. Now the question comes to us again. Now how long does it take to cover seven miles? Is it two hours and 20 minutes still? Or maybe it was like, pick up your feet, Horatio, let's move. You know, sandals off, let's go. 
I woke up this morning thinking about this, and you know me, I'm out there sometimes. I thought, wouldn't it have been something? Because when they get there, verse 36, it says, as they're telling the guys back at the house, as they're coming in, they're all together, and the people who are all together are saying, he's shown himself to Peter, alive. And they hear this. They go, wow, hey, wait, us too. We, they tell them all about the walk. They tell them about the breaking of bread and how they jog back to town. And here, we just want to let you know that we did this too. And there are others in the room they are going, I think this is a conspiracy theory. I think these people all got together outside. They're just trying to cheer us up. Don't give us that stuff. Don't tell us these things unless it's true. And as there's still unbelief in the room, who shows up? Jesus appears to them. Peace be to you. Whew! Man, settle the argument. <laughs> right? Instantly. Wow. Well, I woke up this morning. I imagine that Jesus, when he vanished out of their sight, this is totally extra biblical. There's no support for this in the Bible. <laughs> I declare it openly. And Jesus had a little wagon thing outside. <laughs> and he was, you know, had the hat on like the driver. Just waiting for these guys to blast out of the restaurant or wherever they had the bread. The house, and maybe it was a weekend cabin in Emmaus. I don't know. But they come blasting out. He says, you guys need a ride? Because I'm going where you're going. Hop in and, whoosh, and they make the, the, thanks for the ride, guys. You know, in they go. And he says, this is great. I love this stuff. I'll just give him a few minutes in there to hear the rustling inside. And, oh, don't tell him that. Oh, he's alive. He says, now and he comes in why because he wants to be theatrical or he wants to be the perfectly choreographed moment by Jesus he's wanting to make himself known known to us more than no he wants to be known not in our heads but in our hearts not about him but with him and you know when you know God in an experiential way, it cannot override knowledge of the Word of God. Let me be clear. The knowledge of the Word without the Spirit brings legalism and bondage. But knowing God experientially without knowing the Word brings this wispy spiritism. You have to have a balance because God will always reveal Himself from His Word and He will live in front of us and cause us to live in compliance with His Word and we can know Him. So the Bible's not like any other book. When we read it, it becomes a revelation to us. You know, it's got, there's, I don't know if yours does, but have you ever noticed there's sort of light switches along in the margin? And sometimes you've read something a half a dozen times, but this time as you go by, somebody flipped the switch. And the lights came on, and you went, Aha! I get it! Well, that's revelation. That's when the Holy Spirit breaks life-giving word to you from the pages of the Bible, and you experience God. And when you experience God, you know Him. And when you know Him, things get kind of messy. Like this morning. This was lightly messy. Banners and dancing and hopping. And if you're visiting, you're going, what is going on here? Um, You know, and you're just sitting it out waiting for me to be done so you can scoot. And uh, I just want to submit to you, we're not always like this, but I think we might like to be free. We might like to be experiential in God. And it gets a little sloppy. It's not always real specific. 
I, I was talking with, with Pastor Floyd recently, and we were talking about John Wimber and uh, how that, uh, and I'm going to share the story. I hope it's okay. Floyd was at a meeting at, at the vineyard in uh, Anaheim there, and John Wimber was leading the meeting, and then they started praying for people, probably a lot like the meetings you were in just this week. They started praying for people, and there was this just sea of people, an ocean of people ministering to one another down. And uh, Pastor Floyd looked over, and John Wimber was up a couple of levels in the seating area, leaning on a, a balcony kind of thing, looking over at all this. And Floyd went over to talk to him. And as they were standing there, Wimber said, sure gets messy, doesn't it? <laughs> but he had a ministry of just letting people loose, teaching them the Bible, teaching them the truth, introducing them to an experiential knowing of God, and then saying, now go ahead and give it a try. And these guys are coming back from a meeting like that this week where seven and eight-year-olds are prophesying and drawing prophetic pictures and laying hands on the sick and seeing them healed instantly in front of their faces. Amen. In fact, Willow laid hands on a, a baby who was sick with the croup. And, <laughs> and Willow just, how old is Willow? Seven. Lays hands on the baby, and as soon as she's done praying, the baby's clear breathing. Amen. See, and the head wants to explain that. Tell me how that worked. I can explain it. You know, it's like the professor. I've used this story before in the class. This professor's going on and on about the universe and the distance across the Milky Way, and there's other galaxies, and how distant everything is, and light years across, and it's huge, and it's massive, and the student says, I can't take it. He says, stop, 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 stop. stop. How, can you explain that? He says, sure, I can explain it with one word. Really? He says, yeah, God. And the, and the kid goes, oh, now I understand. <laughs> to which the professor said, no, you don't. And we don't. We can explain it because we can give the glory to God and we can say He knows how and He does these things and He alone is marvelous. And he wants to use a seven-year-old to lay hands on a baby and heal it. That's fine. He wants you to dance and spin and declare your freedom. Okay, go for it. We're not crazy. We're elated. We're not foolish except for in the eyes of men. David, King David of all of Israel, danced with all his might before the Lord. And his own wife criticized him. said, you act like a fool in front of all the people of Israel. And he said, if this is being foolish, you ain't seen nothing yet. That's a paraphrase. It's not what the Bible, the Bible says. You know, I'll be yet even more vile. So if you call this foolishness, I'm just warming up. Because he is worthy of all this. He's worthy of this and more. He is worthy of being invited into a Kinosko experience where he breaks the bread and says, It's me. Let me at it. Let me loose in your midst. Let me walk with you. Let me lift you out of your depression. Let me deliver you. Let me set you free. I want to be alive among you in such a way that there is no mistake that it's me. And we have got to come to this place where we invite Jesus to go on a walk of wonder with us. Amen? Amen. Lord, would you help us to get free? To hear clearly in our ears and our heart that whom the Son sets free is absolutely free indeed. That there is nothing that can stop you except for us. You're God. 
You're miraculous. You're huge. You're awesome. You're glorious. You're mighty. Teach us to let that might come through. Holy Spirit, we pray that you will not just energize, but anoint your church. Anoint us to act on your behalf in the earth, to declare your glory, to live it out and become living epistles, letters known and read by all men. We want to know you. Like Paul, trading in all of his accolades, saying all these things I count as rubbish that I might know him. We need to know you, Jesus. And we invite you to invade our space this week. We invite you to ride in our cars and to go on our walks and to meet with us at our jobs and awake us every morning with your presence. And help us to find that still place of rest where we can break bread with you and know you more deeply. Lord, I pray that you'll enliven us, quicken the church with your presence. It was said earlier that none of us should leave here not surrendering our heart to Jesus. And I want to give you an opportunity right now that if you have never asked Jesus, the person we're talking about here this morning... You've never asked him to forgive your sin and and to come into your heart and life. Right now is the time. The Bible says today is the day of salvation and not to put it off. You have no guarantee of tomorrow. None of us do. If you would like to invite Christ into your heart, I I want you to do it right now with me. I'm going to lead you in a prayer, a simple prayer, but it's not that you and I can rehearse it openly. It's so that you can cry out to Jesus and he'll respond. I just want to coach you. Cry out to Jesus right where you're sitting. Say to him, Jesus, I confess to you that I'm a sinner and I need your grace. I've known about you, but from what I've heard this morning, evidently I have not known you, nor have I allowed myself to be known by you. Forgive my sins. Make me a new person. Help me to live for you. Draw me into relationship and fill me with your Holy Spirit. Teach me your word. Teach me your ways. For I desire today for you to be my Savior. Take my heart. I surrender it freely. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Perhaps you're a believer here this morning that you've been distant from Christ. You've been at arm's length and maybe you're like the guys on the road to Emmaus walking in kind of a depressed mode. Jesus wants to lift you up. He wants to enliven you. He wants to break bread with you and restore you in your knowing of Him. He wants to lift you above the primary circumstances that are confronting you. Would you speak to him right now and say, Jesus, bring me home. Take me on my own walk to Emmaus today. Before the sun goes down, cause me to know you freshly anew. And cause the attack of the enemy to be stayed off my mind and off my person. I want to be separated unto you.
for freedom's sake. And Jesus, I love you. I welcome you. I want to walk with you. And Father, I pray this morning that you will restore us now hearts all across the room. That you will draw these who have prayed to receive you into yourself. That you will break bread with them this day and cause them to know without a doubt that they're saved. Cause them to understand from your word that if they cry out to you, you will answer. And they've asked you to forgive them and you say you will. You say if they'll open their hearts, you'll go in and move in and live inside of them. I invite you to do that even now. And lift your body, Lord Jesus. Be in charge. You're the head. We're the framework. Lift us. Cause the downcastness to disappear in light of your freedom. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for coming this morning. You've been a blessing to me. You'll need to stretch and yawn and work it out. The king says you're on your way. Would you do this? Would you love one another? Best you can. <laughs>